Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We're in a series of messages from 1 Peter. The series is entitled, A Living Hope, words we find in the first few verses of this book. We're in chapter 1, and we're going to begin today reading in verse 10. Believe it or not, this is already sermon 4 in this series, and it's part B of sermon 3. That sounds like something the government named, right? But not limited to. But great is thy salvation. We preached part of this last week. We're going to look at the second half of it today. Great is thy salvation. We're going to begin in verse 10. We looked at 10 and 11 last week as to this salvation. The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. They weren't mere flutes that the breath of God just passed over the reed and out came the sound. He didn't hold their hand and move the pen. No, these men were inspired of God, but these men and women also reached out to God, cried out to God, searched. There there was volition on their part as well, and the outcome of that was the perfect, infallible, inerrant word of God. But they were seeking. They they were talking about a time and a person that Peter says they just couldn't quite grasp it. How 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 are we to know who this Jesus is and, and what will those times be like? Verse eleven, they were seeking to know what person or time of the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. They didn't understand everything about it, but they understood we're serving people that we don't know, not met. But but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel, those were the ones preaching the gospel to them at that time, as I am preaching the gospel today. They preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope on or completely on the grace of God to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus untested, flabby, lazy faith's not going to get it done. Peter says, you're facing days like no one's face. I would say to us, we are facing days at least like we've never faced. And, 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 and I don't know what the future holds. I, I know he holds a future. I, I, I got all of that, but I, I can tell you there's I'm just not sure. I've never, in my 60 years of life on this earth, I've never been more uncertain about 
my country and the future of, of, of freedom in this land, I, I've never had more concern about it than I do now. But I've never had more faith in God than I do now. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your ignorance, but be like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves also in your behavior. Two words our world does not like, obedience and behavior. Leave those two alone. You don't know me. I, I may be totally different on the inside. My outside may not reflect my behavior. And so what if God says, no, it does? Well, I disagree with God. You can do that nowadays. Did you know that? They just signed it this week. You don't have to care what God thinks. People have learned that for years, though. We don't like talking about obedience to anyone. And we certainly don't like talking about behavior. Because it is written, verse 16, you shall be holy. Three times in Leviticus. You shall be holy for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile, wasteful way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him you are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And since you have an in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren fervently love one another from the heart for you have been born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable that is through the living and enduring word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. What a great word on salvation. It's a little difficult sometimes for us to maybe grasp everything that Peter is trying to say, we talked about that, we struggle some going from one translation to another. Word order is different, and there, there's a, quite a few challenges that are mixed in with that. But I think God is going to give us grace in understanding this morning because this is such a powerful and timely word for us, my brothers and sisters. I, I, I can't tell you how much we need to be, like he says, sober in our thinking. He says, be sober in your minds. Prepare your minds. 
Get your minds ready. It may take some reading. Maybe that's not your thing. It could become your thing. Maybe study is just a thing we've uh, kind of for way too long just let our pastor do. And, and we'll go and admire the week he's had in the Word. But, but you need to, as individuals, we need to spend time in the Word of God. And if you haven't, now's a great time to start because we need to be preparing our minds. Not intoxicated, be sober. That's what that word means. And that's not just with like alcohol or drugs, but I, I see people that get intoxicated with the latest prophecy preacher or, uh, or the latest author or, or some teaching. They say, man, that just really hooked up with me. And, and, and boy, that really made sense to me. And, and I'm glad when that happens, but make sure, uh, that, that, that what you're seeing is also what God would be saying. Make sure it hooks up with what God would have to say, because I can tell you when our minds are intoxicated, things don't look like they actually are sometimes. He says, get your minds ready. Well, he talked about those who prophesied about our salvation. Secondly, we'll pick up here this morning in verse 14, he talks about the purpose of God's salvation. The purpose of it, in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but be like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves, also in your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You see, we weren't holy, and we couldn't make ourselves holy. That's the whole gist of it all. That's the whole gist of the gospel. That's it. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we're preaching this word. That's the hope for the world that we were not holy and could not make ourselves holy. And God came and gave us his holiness and his righteousness as a gift of grace. I know we say that a lot, but stick around. We're going to say it a lot more. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. The greatest thing that will ever happen to anybody. And I, and I want you to notice, and we could get into it so deep, but I want you to notice three words that Peter uses here to say, Mike, this is who you were before. It, it does us good sometimes to go down that road. I, I hear people say, well, I, I, don't wanna, I don't like to hear people testify and talk about how bad they used to be. I, I'm not so sure that's always bad. When Paul did it, he talked about how bad he used to be. When he gave his testimony, he talked about some horrible things that he was involved in, killing Christians and, and persecuting them. But he says, God changed my life and changed my heart and transformed me. So take a, a little walk down memory lane. Peter says in verse 14, you lived in ignorance. You lived in ignorance. You, you were like a, you, you just were a fool. And remember the definition of a fool. A fool is someone who doesn't know, but he doesn't know he doesn't know. Really, he's confident in his ignorance. He, he feels like, I, I, I got it. I got it. And, and you can take a person that knows they don't have it, a person that is seeking understanding. You can take a, a, a person who is without knowledge but wanting knowledge and do so much with them. But if you find a person who thinks they know, they believe they've got it figured out. They've rationalized it to the point they think they're okay and they're like a, a, a fool walking toward disaster. And, 
And, and you, you can't stop them. Read the book of Proverbs. It, it, it's, it's really comical, some of the things that, that Solomon says about the fool. He says, before you hire a fool, you might as well cut off both of your own feet. Just, just go ahead and do that rather than to, to, to catch up with a fool because they're going to bring misery and pain and destruction in your life. I, I think ignorance is a great word here that, that he uses. That's where we were. Secondly, desire in verse 14. You had that lust in, in your life. You just desire. Uh, the, the opposite sex was for entertainment. It, 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 you, it never glorified God in your life. It, it was for you. It, you, it was, uh, it, it, it's so easy to get caught up in the deviates. And, and boy, I can tell you right now, when you read the history of the world and you read about societies of ancient times, every one of them, when they began to normalize deviance, that's when the foundations begin to crack and the ice begin to break under their feet. And where are we? Boy, are we ever there. Normalize it. Make it okay. And if anyone is not willing to normalize deviance, they're a bigot. If they want to bring healing, well, that's not what I want. I want you to tell me I'm cool like I am. I mean, it would be like God saying, Mike, I'll give you back your hand. I'd love that. That'd be great. I I don't know that that'll happen. But it would be like me looking at God and going, no, I I found this group we meet on Tuesdays. We're called the the quiet uh, applauders. I just made that up. Because I was down here this morning trying to clap, and I slapped everything but Loretta. <laughs> I have nothing to hit against. I'm almost knocked my teeth out a couple of times. I'm wanting to make some noise. I need a tambourine. Just thought of that. We'd go all Church of God up in here with that thing, would we not? Those are devil chasers. You can run him slam out of the building with one of them. You can run me out too with one of them. Deviance becomes normalized. What if I told God, though, instead of healing me? I, 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 I think people with one hand are normal. Who are you to say I need healing? We're, we're going to march. We're going to hold up signs in Washington. We're going to do it with one hand. So they'll be smaller than a lot of the signs you see. <laughs> How crazy, you say, Mike, you, that, that is just so ridiculous. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't even make sense. I know. There's so many other things that don't make sense either. There's people in this world that God wants to heal. He wants to change their life. He wants to say, no, I don't want you to feel good about being who you are because you have a problem, and your problem is sin, and I want to forgive you, and I want to bring healing in your life, and all you want to do is try to justify it. Well, there's others that... For some people, has lost both hands. Hmm. What a fool. But sometimes we can be just that. Futility is the third word. He uses it in verse 18. A life of wastedness. We, we, we earn this, Americans. We've been teaching our kids in school that we just happen. 
that evolution kind of brought us around here, and there's real no, really no purpose in life. Because you think about it, if we just evolved, if we're just a bunch of atoms dancing around, atoms with a T. I didn't want you to give you the wrong visual there. <laughs> but if we're just a bunch of atoms dancing around a bunch of molecules that decided to get together and go out, if that's all we are, we have no purpose at all in our life. So, so live however you choose. Uh, the, if, we, we, if, if we're going to die like dogs, we might as well live like dogs, right? And that, that's the idea that, that we have given the world. Ignorance, desire, futility. Well, the purpose of God's salvation was to make us holy so we could have a relationship with Him. Thirdly, not only the prophecy and purpose of God's great salvation, the price of it, verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ, redeemed. Do you know what that word means? I know some of you do, but it is a word we throw around a lot in church. I'm not sure we get it. Redeemed is the picture of a slave that hopelessly belongs to someone or something that can never be free. He doesn't have his own ideas. His ideas are given to him. He, he doesn't follow his own feelings. He's told what to do every hour of his life. Nothing belongs to him. He owns nothing. He himself is the property of someone or something. And then someone comes along and pays the price to set that enslaved person free. That's redemption. The book of Ruth is, boy, such a it's, a, it's a beautiful piece of gold in an old dry, dusty field, but it, it is set right in the time of the book of the Judges, and in the book of the Judges it said men did that which was right in their own eyes. Whatever they thought was right, that's what they did. The book of Judges opens that way and it closes that way. And what a time it was, much like the time in which we live. But right smack in the middle of that, we meet a woman named Ruth. And you remember the story and how she met Boaz. And and Boaz was what the Hebrews call her Goel. And a Goel was your kinsman redeemer. And to make a really long and awesome, beautiful story short, When Boaz met her, married her, he was able to bring back into her life all of the things that she had lost. Her husband was dead. She was not an Israelite, but everything she would have inherited was lost. And now all of a sudden, Boaz makes all of the uh, legal arrangements to not only become her husband, but to redeem her and everything that belonged to Elimelech now which was her father-in-law is now, belongs to Ruth. It's an awesome story. Oh, man, think about it. Yeah, Boaz, he wasn't an Israelite. His mother was Rahab the harlot, remember? That's who his mother was. 
His mother was Rahab the harlot. And Ruth was a Moabitess. And you know where I'm going? Some of you could go with me, could you not? Because I always end the story of Ruth this way. What could God ever do with the son of a harlot and a Moabitess, a group of people that God had cursed for ten straight generations? Well, they got married. And they have a son. Man, for a free ride in my deer hunting truck, what was his name? Mm -mm. My wife said, and she's ridden in my deer hunting truck. She wants to drive it, but I won't let her. Obed. And Obed had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son named, what was it? David. And David had a son named Solomon. Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And on down the line. And finally, a woman named Mary had a son. And his name was Jesus. What good can come from that? I'd say a lot. That's called redemption. That's what God does for us. I don't want to get hung up here too long, but man, we live in a world that they need to be set free. Their situation is like Ruth's. It just seems totally impossible for anything good to ever come from it. I, 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 we have people in our world, think about it, they're, they're climbing prison walls not to get out but to get in. And I don't mean the kind of prison walls that are made with, with brick and mortar. Those are a lot easier to get out of. I mean, it might be near to impossible, but, boy, it's tougher than the prisons I'm talking about. I, I looked this up. The, the latest data I could find was from about 2017. There are 900, estimated six, 964,000 Americans addicted to meth. Addicted to methamphetamine. That's almost a million people that live in that prison every day of their life. 16,000 of them are from the age of 12 to 17. And I can tell you right now, as a matter of fact, I I shouldn't say I can tell you, but just from my experience, and there's some of you sitting here, you, you know, right? You could testify that outside a miracle from God, once you're addicted to meth, you die addicted to meth. You don't walk away from that. But God can set you free, can he not? Amen. 88,000 people, thereabouts, will die from alcohol this year. 88,000 people in America will die from alcohol. I thought this was interesting. In, In 2018, you know, murder is on the rise, and murder is a horrible problem. But I had my eyes open a bit. In 2018, 18,830 people were murdered. And now that's bad, but this killed me. 48,344 people, two and a half times as many, they killed themselves. They killed themselves. Oh, we talk about murder rates because we think, oh, yeah, we, we can do something about that. We can bring some legislation around and 
we can hate guns or do some other stupid stuff, and all of that will just go away somehow or another. Oh, we've got a fix for that. You, we just need to get the right person in office, and, boy, they all promise, oh, yeah, we're going to address all of that. I'm so sick and tired of the lies. I'm sick and tired of people pretending that they can fix a problem that is not caused by lack of education or poverty or any of that. I had all of those things. <laughs> All of those things. I I can tell you I had it all going on in my life personally, and a lot of you did. You were raised poor. Brother Terry Skidmore and I, we have a good laugh sometimes talking about the old houses that we lived in growing up as kids. Man, a covey of quail, if you know what that is, could fly right through the house and never hit a board. In one side and out the other, it was ridiculous. My grandmother used to take blankets and put rocks on a, a stove and heat them up and put them into bed with us to keep us from freezing to death. And, and, and I'm just telling you, all of that, that yeah, I was raised in, in what people nowadays would call poverty, but none of that causes the issues that plague our country today. Our problem is sin. Our problem is sin. As a matter of fact, our real problem is race. That's right, the human race, because the human race is lost, and the human race needs Jesus, but we're not going to talk about that much. There's not a lot of political mileage you can get out of calling everybody a sinner and telling everybody, you need something that we don't have in Washington. You need a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how much money we throw at your life, it will still be a wreck. You'll still be an ignorant, flaming fool until your sins are forgiven, your soul is redeemed, and God saves you from your sinfulness. Oh, man. Number four, we'll move on. Prophecy, the prophecy of this great salvation, the purpose of it. The price of it. Number four, the proof of it. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. How will we know? How will we know that we have passed from death unto life? How will we know? that we really have a relationship with God. There's two things we're going to look at, but you remember that word ignorance? (laughs) We kind of like ignorance sometimes. I call it the bliss of agnosticism. It's where we say things like, well, there's a lot of things we just don't know. I mean, we don't know you know, really, if we're going to heaven or not, we die. We, we still have people sitting in churches all over Rutherford County this morning that are hoping they make it. They're hoping they make it. Didn't cuss but three times this week, preacher. Yes, sir. Good for you. Quit some other things this week. Let me tell you one you ought to quit on Monday. It'll help the rest of your week. Quit trying to save yourself. Just, just stop that. That'd be the best thing you could do. That'd be the best thing you could possibly do. But we like ignorance. I think a lot of people that, 
that are intelligent in a lot of areas of their life. When it comes to God, it's like, well, there's just so much we don't know about God. God is so mysterious. I want to tell you something. It's not the things we don't know about God that bothers me. It's the things that we do know about God that really worries me. Because God has given us his word. And he has told us, if you are truly born again, one of the things that you're going to see in your life is obedience to the truth. See, see, we don't like that because we'd rather we got maybe someone we love. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's a, a spouse. Maybe it's a loved one that you know they have never asked Jesus Christ into their heart and soul. You want them to go to heaven so badly. You would rather sit around and wallow in the comfort of your ignorance and just say, well, we don't really know. And, and we're just leaving that up to God. And God is so awesome. And you, you just wallow in all of the unknowns about God. What about trusting in some of the known? that we know about God. Some of the things that God has given us. Your, your friend, you, yourself, can be born again. That's how you have eternal life. And how will you know you've got it? Obedience to the truth. Obedience doesn't save you. Don't, please don't get that. There, there are two losers in life. One is legalism and the other is liberalism. Neither one of them will save you. Neither one of them will save you. You can try as much as you like to save yourself. You cannot do it. You cannot obey the rules enough to do it. It is by the grace of God and His grace alone. But when you have been born again, I can tell you now, it will be evidenced by obedience to the truth. Oh, man, people who preach work salvation. See, they look at people like us. And they go, well, y'all are liberal. Y'all act like people can get saved and live however they want to. Have I ever said that in my life? No. It's not what the Word of God teaches. Obedience. Obedience to the truth. Also, he says, a sincere love for the brethren. Fervently love. Man. But you in these things, you should love one another from the heart. I love this verse, John 15, 35. By this, by what? Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you what? If you love the brethren. Love one another. Yeah. If you love one another. They're not going to know by our theology. Oh, we get all caught up in our rightness sometimes. Sometimes we feel we get on that high horse of, well, we, yeah, we've got all of these uh, things figured out. and Our theology is right and blah, blah, blah. And we got all the secrets. Uh, we know this, that, and the other. And a whole lot of times uh, we know very little. We, we do a lot more talking than we do thinking sometimes. I don't have it all figured out. I can tell you that. But I do know this. The thing that God says will let the world know without a doubt. How will all men know that you are my disciples? It is because of our love for one another. You know, one of the things I've hated about this COVID thing, for years... I considered myself a comfortable recluse. I'm not a hugger. 
by nature. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, boy, I get so nervous around people. Oh, I've told you, I know. I see pastors who walk in a room full of folks they don't know. They walk out, they know everybody's name. I'm like, how do you do that? Why do you do that? Why are you going in there? There's people in there. Well, it's a hospital room, right? We got to go. Yeah, but there's some dead people down the hall. We'll go see them. I'm telling you, and I was so just, I just knew that's how I was. I got to tell you something this COVID thing's done for me. It's made me want to come hug your neck. Dr. Fauci says if I wear two masks, I might can. I don't know. I'm just saying, I, I, I want to be at the door today. I saw some of you here today, man. Uh, I mean, I see a lot of you, so just don't, don't, don't. If I don't mention your name, let, let me just have some freedom here. But I saw Cafel this morning sitting down there. Man, I want to go. Because, see, he don't like hugs either, and I know it. I'd like to mug him before he gets out of here. I know he's caring. That's all right. I've been shot before. <laughs> okay? Check that one. I see Josh Edgerton here today, man. I want to talk to you so bad. I want to tell him, man, I didn't know all that stuff was in there until it was hanging out. Oh, man. I'm just telling you. I, there's so many of you that I just, I, I miss that. And, 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 I, I just, uh, the, the COVID thing is, I guess I've had enough of it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get back at the door and find out how you're doing and, and, and tell you how much I, I love you. And, and I went this week, and, and some of you know, uh, to, to, that we started a process in my life that I think is going to help me very much. But it's very expensive. But God's grace and your love for me your love for me and your love for God and your graciousness has helped to make something that was absolutely monetarily impossible for me. You have made that possible. And we think now in about two weeks I'm going to be standing up here with a new toy. Now, I'm still going to have a lot of needs, honey. They told me the other day, Certain things you cannot do with this hand. Don't, don't wash dishes. Picking up dirty clothes can short it out. Mopping. Oh. I can just tell you, there's nothing more precious than us loving one another. Man, I love you. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm on a roll this morning. Cassie Wilson. She sings. <laughs> she sings these beautiful songs, and and man, the the, the girls that they, they sound so beautiful. But they'll be singing, and I'm just singing away. Well, I get lost in it, and I start early. And I see you, Cassie. I see you grin sometimes when I just I just took off. 
we ought to put the words on the screen so we could all know. I'm just, I just take off. I tried to get that woo-hoo. I never got it this morning. I'm going to go home and work on it. Just, I just love her to death. Just, man. I, I'm just going to tell you something, friend. It just, there's so many of you that you just so bless my heart in so many ways. Our love for each other. Well, and then secondly, or secondly, our obedience to the truth and our love for one another. Last of all is close. Prophecy, the purpose of our salvation, the price of our salvation, the proof of it, and last of all, the power of God's salvation. Power of it. Verse 23, 4, you have been born again. Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living, enduring Word of God. And verse 20, he said, for he, talking about Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. We looked at this word earlier because in verse 2, we looked at the word. Proskuneo is, uh, no, no uh, prognosco. Proskuneo is word for worship. Uh, prognosco is to know beforehand. We got our word prognosis from it. What is the prognosis? What are we thinking about in the future? What does it look like? Am I going to live or die? It's a powerful word in the Greek because it's more than just know. It's more than just have an awareness of the existence. It's to have a fondness of God knew us, we learned in verse 2, before we ever knew him. But then he says in verse 20 that Jesus was foreknown as well. William Barclay pointed out something in my reading this week that blessed me so, and I want to close with it today. We often think of God as creator first and redeemer second. But before the foundations of the world were ever laid. Jesus Christ already knew what he would have to do. He already knew that he loved me enough that he was going to come and die for me. He not only knew me, but he himself was already developing that relationship before creation had ever begun. He had, had already chosen me. Don't ask me how all of that works. But I still had the ability to say yea or nay, but yet he had already chosen me because you have to remember he lives in an eternal timeline. I live in a temporal timeline. The things that I experience one after another, God can experience them all at one time. And I know you're looking at me like, wow, that cleared it all up right there. I know. It's not easy to wrap your mind around it, but God knew us. But before he was creator, he was redeemer. I, I like it because sometimes we treat God as if he created this world. And when he created the world, 
things went off the rails in Genesis chapter 3, and then he had to come up with plan B. No, he had plan B before he created the world. It wasn't like it threw God for a loop. It wasn't like God was like, okay, all right, what are we going to do now? It wasn't like the angels were falling around behind him in heaven while he was going, just leave me alone, leave me alone, I'll think of something. Oh, Lord, what am I going to do? Man, God is not like that. Nothing ever occurs to him. Nothing ever dawns on him. Ever. Ever. He knew. He had the plan, not only before I sinned, but before I was born, even before he made the world. Yeah, hallelujah. You didn't surprise God. You might be going, oh, I I don't know. Pastor, if you really knew my heart in life, if you knew where I am this morning, all that sounds good. But I don't think it applies to me. I, I didn't fall into sin. I jumped into it. Okay. So far, you're in the same boat with the rest of us. Tell us something new about you. If it wasn't your fault, it wouldn't be sin. You wouldn't need forgiveness. You'd need pity. But because it was your fault, instead of pity, you need mercy. We preached about that early on in this series. We need God's mercy. And I promise you, you didn't surprise God. Matter of fact, he knew before he created the first atom, the first molecule, he knew you would be sitting here this morning. And he sent a preacher that you may forget one day, but you heard something today that I hope you never forget, and that is that God loves you. And he's not here to validate you. If that's what you came looking for, I'm sorry. You can find it in tons of churches. If you were here to be authenticated, if you were looking for someone that would embrace your ideas about sexuality or or promiscuity or marriage or gender or whatever any of that is, if you were looking for that, that's, that's not what God is offering. But what he is offering is forgiveness. And salvation. That's what he's offering. That's why when Miss Brandy sung, what a beautiful name it is. I don't want think about the name of Jesus. I remember when I was in Fruitland, man, so many years ago. 1980 to 82. What were you boys doing in 1980? Do you even remember? So many years ago, I remember we had a professor. Uh, he, he liked shock and awe, and I'll never forget, we loved that old song by the Gaithers. There's just something about that name. And of course, none of us knew a word of Greek. We didn't know any Hebrew. We didn't know anything. We had a King James Version under one arm, and we were ready to fight, baby. And the day he stood up in class... 
and told us that song, there's just something about that name. There's really nothing special about that name. I think I still remember where we buried him. But I can't say. Oh, we wanted to kill him. I don't want to kill him anymore. I know him now. He went on and got his doctorate, and I met him later in seminary. We were students together for a while. But I hope, like me, after all the years of study, he realizes there really is something about that name. What a beautiful name it is, Brandy. What a beautiful name. Because it means Yahweh saves. The covenant name, Yahweh. The one with whom we could never have a relationship. Because we couldn't keep the covenant. And yet Yahweh saves. So we can have a relationship with him. God knew you'd be here. And that's what he sent me to tell you. You've gotten a word from him this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. I thank you, God, for loving us like you do. I thank you, God, that I don't have to stand here today, Lord, to to preach and just look at people that I know their hearts are heavy. Oh, it might be for a loved one, but God, sometimes we come to church and our hearts are heavy because our hearts have been dirty. Our minds have been wrong. Our lives have been disobedient, God. And then Satan starts plan B. He begins to just drive the guilt into us. He makes us feel useless and worthless, God. And without you, we are. But then he tries to convince us, Lord, that you don't care about us. That we finally reach that point, as we often do with humans, where you've grown weary of our foolishness. But God, you're not human. And we thank you, Father, for your love. We thank you, Father, that you love us enough sometimes to discipline us because you care about us. But we thank you, Father, for your forgiveness. And I pray, God, today, that someone here today will leave with a word of hope. Maybe that they didn't have when they got here. That they'd know, Lord, that you love them. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week. 